Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord God, these are ancient words describing an ancient battle and an ancient ceremony. But it is a story of our fathers and our mothers in the faith. And we pray that as we look at it today, as we try to wrap our minds, our hearts around these things, as we try to think about what does this have to say to us in our day, we pray that you would guide us, that our thoughts would be after you, that we would understand these things and how to apply them to our lives and what difference they make for us. Be gracious to us then, and let us not be hearers of the word only, but doers also of it. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. As we close the uh, service in a few minutes later, uh, we're going to sing a hymn that is a favorite, I suspect, for many of us, for all the saints. And there is a line in that hymn from which the title of the sermon is drawn today, and it says this, Thou wast their rock, their fortress, and their might. Thou, Lord, their captain in the well-fought fight. Joshua, at least the conquest part of Joshua, began with the Battle of Jericho. And as we have observed about the Battle of Jericho, it was a battle in which Israel did not fight because God fought for them at Jericho. Israel didn't take up arms in the Battle of Jericho for the purpose of knocking down the wall. God did that. And here we come in Joshua chapter 8 to the second battle for Ai. And in this battle, clearly from what we've read and what we have seen, Israel fights. One very simple reminder for us from the book of Joshua is to be cognizant of the fact that we are in a fight. Now, being in warfare, being in battle is not the only lens through which we should view our lives, but it is biblically frequent and it is biblically prevalent. If you think about the book of Revelation, maybe we can just take one book and summarize it into two basic facts of the book of Revelation. One, Jesus is the great and sovereign king. He rules and reigns over all. He will return and he will defeat all of his and all of our enemies. That's point number one of the book of Revelation. Point number two, in the meantime, fight. In the meantime, stand and fight because you are in a warfare and the dragon pursues the woman and her child. We are in an ongoing spiritual battle. We are battling for truth. We are battling for goodness. We are battling for the good news of the gospel. We are battling and contending for the faith that has been handed to us. I appreciated the way Tommy introduced us to the confession of faith this morning. It's a battle, it's a contention that we have to hold that faith in our lives and for the generations that are to follow, it, follow us. And we must be aware of the fact that we are in this battle so that we can stand and fight. And so I 
urge us as we listen, as we think through Joshua chapter 8 today, to take that perspective, to understand it in that light. Now, Joshua chapter 7, that was last week, basically the first battle of Ai, and it followed a very simple structure. You had the battle, you had the defeat, and then you had the judgment. As we discern the reason for the defeat, then there was the judgment that was levied against Achan and family afterwards. In this second battle of Ai, we have for us described the battle, the victory, and then the renewal that I just read, the covenantal renewal that I just read. And I'm going to use that very simple structure of battle and victory and renewal to take us through what's going on here and try and trace that for us in our lives. So let's talk, first of all, about the battle that takes place here. As I've said, there is a distinction between what has taken place in the first two places, towns that Israel encounters in Canaan. There's a distinction between Jericho and Ai and what the responsibilities are, and I think it is significant. To bring this right to us, and, and oftentimes I work our way up to this, but I'm, I'm going to go right for it today, to bring this to us and say, okay, what, is, what difference does this make for us, these two strategies that are unfolded in both of these towns by the Lord? I think it is for us illustrative of the difference between justification and sanctification. Now let me explain what I mean by that. Jericho is a gift that is freely given to the people of God. God fights the battle. God conquers Jericho and God gives Jericho. It is a gift freely given. Justification. Justification is the declaration of the forgiveness of our sins through the blood of Christ and the giving of his righteousness to us counted, reckoned towards us. Justification is a gift that is freely given. We did not fight for justification. Jesus fought for our justification. Jesus, through his death and then his resurrection, has conquered, and then Jesus gives to us justification. AI in contrast to Jericho, must be fought for by the Israelite warriors. Sanctification, our growth in Christ, our pursuit of holiness, requires our engagement in the battle. It does not accept any passivity on our part. We have to fight for it. We have to fight for it individually, and we have to fight for it corporately as the people of God. We must fight, we must take up the weapons of our warfare and fight for these things. They don't happen naturally. You have to fight for growth in holiness. If you want to pray, you know that you have to fight to pray. You have to fight to think about virtue. You have to fight to put on virtue. We have to fight and combat for the growth of the church, for the increase, for the spread of the church around the world. We have to fight for contentment. 
and to fight for the glory of our captain. Now, a particular strategy is employed in taking AI. I don't think that there's a lot to be gained in terms of value for us. Maybe there is. I've got some ideas in the back of my head that are rolling around. I'm not ready to preach them. But I don't think there's value in us actually looking at the exact way that the battle of AI unfolded and trying somehow to map that onto our lives and say this, therefore, is what we should do. This is how we should approach some problematic situation that exists in our lives. But I do think there is value in seeing what they went through as part of our story as well. So. Uh, I think I shared this a, a couple of sermons ago. I've been reading some books that were not high adventure books recently, novels, I loved them, but they were not high adventure, they were not a lot of battles. And as I was in Joshua and preaching on a lot of these themes of battling and warfare, I thought I need to pick up some of my old favorite books on uh, battles and warfare. And so I ended up quoting, I think a week or two ago from uh, Killer Angels and the book about the Battle of Gettysburg. And, uh, and so then when I finished that one, I picked up uh, Ambrose's B Band of Brothers, and I'm reading through uh, Band of Brothers for another, I don't know, probably the third or fourth time uh, that I've read through that, which is the story of Easy Company, a, a paratrooper company in World War II. And I just finished a part where they have completed their training and they are in a C-47, they're flying over the English Channel and they're heading into France. They're gonna paratroop down into France and try and soften up the German defenses uh, to allow the, uh, the landing to take place. And as they're flying over the English Channel, one of the lieutenants says to the men, look down at what is beneath us. And the point of looking down and, and was to see the incredible uh, grouping of ships and boats that were gathered there, more than 6,000, more than anybody had ever seen gathered together at that particular time in one particular place. And Sergeant Gordon Carson commented, he writes about this and he says, you had to be a little bit awed that you were part of a thing that was so much greater than you. Now, men in warfare talk like that. But I think the point applies to us as the people of God, as we read a story like this, as we look at it from a bit of a distance, and certainly a distance of times, we, sisters and brothers, we are part of something that is much bigger than us, that is more significant than any of us individually, and yet at the exact same time, each of us is individually significant to the whole. Each of us is particularly called to do his or her part in this. And let me just make one little parenthetical note here. Of course, this battle that Israel is doing here involves in particular the men of Israel, the fighting force, the men of Israel going to attack. But the reality is now, especially in the new covenant, that all of us, men and women, are engaged in this battle. The strongest person here spiritually may in fact be the weakest person here physically because the battle belongs to the Lord and we have access to the Lord through prayer and through his strength. One of the things that I think this says to us as you look at a battle like this, as you look at the preparation that went into it, the planning that went into it, is that we cannot battle 
sin in our lives or in our world casually or occasionally or half-heartedly. You can't battle for holiness personally or, or corporately. You can't battle for love to exist in your families without diligence and discipline. You can't battle darkness for light spasmodically or lackadaisically. The enemies that we face, the flesh, the devil, our sin, they're simply too strong for it. They won't yield to a casual approach to a battle. Like Israel, we've got to develop a strategy. We've got to take action, and we've got to have that which Israel has, and this will transition us. We've got to have the intent to win. Sometimes we dabble in a battle against a particular sin that's going on in our lives. We just think about it, a little prayer, that it will get better. You have to have the intent for victory. Israel's not just practicing against AI. The intention is to totally destroy AI and take the city and win. Let's transition then into the victory portion of this. Israel is going to fight, but they are given tremendous encouragement at the outset of this battle. The encouragement that they get is found in verse 1. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. Now, we might read quickly by that because we think to ourselves, gee, that sounds a lot like what we've heard in other places, right? That sounds a lot like Joshua chapter 1, the commands that were given to Joshua there. But it's significant for us because of what has just taken place. Don't forget what has just happened. We've seen Israel fall. It's important after the fall of Israel, after the sin of Achan that is attributed not only to Achan but to his family, to Israel as a whole, it is important for that having been dealt with, for the confession to have taken place, for the judgment to have taken place, to then hear from God before the battle, I forgive you and I am with you. Don't be afraid. So to hear those words is not just a vain repetition by God. It's to say, yes, I know that took place and I'm still with you. Go into this battle. I'm giving it, the city, into your hand. Jericho was also given by God into their hand and they didn't have to fight. Ai was given into their hand and they have to fight. Okay, same, same word is used here, same verb is used. I'm giving it to you. And I think for me, as I, as I hear those things, I think, okay, I understand what it means that Jericho was given, but what does it mean that Ai was also given? If I'm fighting for it, how, how do those two things come together? Because that seems like a different type of giving. Uh, if, if you're asking me to work for one of them, that's one thing. If you're asking me to just receive, I, I get that. To me, this is a great illustration. It's a great example, actually, of verses that we know well from Philippians chapter 2 that say this. 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is an example of this. This is God saying, yes, in fact, the battle belongs to me. The battle for Jericho belongs to me. The battle for Ai belongs to me. The battle for your sanctification belongs to me. The victory is ours. It is assured in the victory of Jesus Christ. The battle belongs to me. The victory belongs to me. But what I've done is I have given you my spirit. I have equipped you to be a participant in this fight. And so, work out your salvation. You can't just be passive in it. You work out because I've equipped you to work out. So fight, fight well, fight hard, fight strong, fight smart, fight now, because the victory is the Lord's. So that's one look at the overall victory. I'm giving AI to you. I've given it into your hands. But I think there's another remarkable part of this victory, and it might be easy for us to read through it quickly, so I want to highlight it for us. It's in verse 2. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Israel is given in Ai not only victory, but the spoils of the victory. Now think about that for just a moment in, in the flow of the narrative that is before us. Israel is given that for which Achan was just executed for taking. God just killed him and his family for taking spoils. When God had said, all of the spoils of Jericho go to me. They are all either destroyed or they are dedicated to my house, to my worship. The book of Joshua as a whole is about an inheritance. This land is an inheritance that is being given to Israel. And here not only in Jericho and in Ai, but in these spoils in particular, we begin to see the first fruits of the lavish grace of God that is bestowed on people who do not deserve it. Or we can say the same thing in our language from the New Testament. As children of God, we too are receiving the spoils of a victory that was Christ's and not ours. We're getting something that we didn't fight for. We're getting something that we do not deserve. We have some of it now, and we have an inheritance that is being preserved for us, that is being kept in heaven for us. And this understanding of victory and of reward is essential for anybody who is going to fight the good fight. For anybody who is going to fight well, you have got to understand this. The enemy would have us believe that God is stingy. He would have us believe 
that God is withholding things from us that we otherwise might enjoy. And the result is we have to take them. We have to grab hold of those things. The enemy would have you believe that God and your parents and the Bible and the law of God and your church are all linked together in a cosmic conspiracy designed to keep you from having fun. Designed to keep you from being you. Designed to keep you from being free. Designed to keep you from getting what you want. That's the lie. Did God really say, don't eat of this tree? He, he didn't say that. Because he knows in the day that you eat of it, you'll be like God. God's keeping something from you. God's keeping something from us or to use this wartime language, God's keeping the spoils from you. Life would otherwise be good. Without God, without all the restrictions, you'd be able to really enjoy it. That's the lie. And it leads to the sin. God is withholding, so we must take. What do you have to take? A beautiful cloak from Shinar. 200 shekels of silver, a bar of gold. What do you have to take? You have to take your moments of pleasure in this life. The moments of sin. Because they might not come again. You might not get them. God's holding them back from you. The root of Achan's sin. And of our sin. The root of Achan's sin was his failure to, in the face of temptation... Remember the extravagance of God's liberality. He didn't remember it. He thought, I, I have to take this. I mean, really, what's God going to do with a cloak from Shinar? He doesn't need that. There's a lot of gold already stored up in the treasury. I, you know, what does he need another bar of gold for? Another 200 shekels for? In the midst, I mean, God was giving. God was in the midst of giving the land, the cities, to his people. And Achan felt like he needed to be selfish, like he needed to be impatient. And he forgot that the victory is the Lord, that the spoils are the Lord's, and he gives both. They're both his. They don't belong to us. They belong to him, but he gives both. He gives the victory, and he gives the spoils as well. This is the thing that we hear throughout Scripture. This is the key to fighting a well-fought fight. When Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is henceforth laid up for me the crown of righteousness with, with which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me and to all who have loved his appearance and his coming. 
Are you uncomfortable with that language? Does it seem to you somehow selfish of Paul to be thinking of that? It's because we're not accustomed to warfare then. God is going to give the crown of righteousness to those who fight the well-fought fight. The reward. God will give it. I was, uh, we had Presbytery yesterday and there was a service as we started Presbytery. One of the readings that took place in the service yesterday was the reading wherein Solomon asks for wisdom, right? Great prayer, Solomon asks for wisdom and God rewards his request of wisdom by giving him wisdom and it says, and I'm going to give you that for which you did not ask. And it goes on to describe it from there. You seek first the kingdom of God. You seek first the righteousness of God and the things that you think God is withholding from you. He says, no, I'll give those as well. Don't doubt my generosity. Let's end with this section of renewal that we find then here at the end. Because more significant than the cities than the various piles of rubble that are now all over the land, these cairns that keep being built, more weighty than the silver, than the gold, more beautiful than that cloak of Shinar and far more precious is the relationship with God. Perhaps you've been in an argument. Well, you've obviously been in an argument, in a fight with family members or with friends, or maybe you've been in a session meeting or a diaconate meeting or a school board meeting, and you fought with somebody pretty hard over an issue. You disagreed pretty sharply over something, and it's come down and somebody, somebody won, somebody lost, some decision was made, maybe there was a compromise and it all went well. But at some point, you may turn to your opponent and you may look at them and say, are we okay? Are we okay? We just went through a lot. We just really disagreed hard with one another. And we kind of want to know, did our relationship survive that? It was a little bit brutal. We didn't agree with each other. Are we okay? Israel had violated the covenant of God. They had been defeated. They had been judged. They had been gone through uh, this, this whole process of identifying the cause of, of the defeat. And then we've got a battle, we've even got victory. But there's a question that kind of hangs out there because God had threatened to depart them. And the question that hangs out there is, are we okay? Are we okay? Is our, is our relationship okay? And the answer to the question, are we okay? Is our relationship together okay? The answer to that is covenant renewal. And we have this incredible worship service that is described for us here. This that is described for us was prescribed for the people of Israel back in Deuteronomy chapter 27. Don't turn there now. You may want to turn there later to read what Moses had instructed. And as is made clear in the recording of it, all of this is taking place in the way that Moses had instructed. Deuteronomy chapter 27, you can read it later. But what you basically end up with are these two mountains that come down and the, the peaks are a bit away from one another, but as you come down these mountains, they actually get very close to one another. Mount Ebal, you've got on one side and, and, and on Mount Ebal, you've got a certain representative portion of the Israelites who are there and they are called to read the curses. 
of the law. The Levites on that mountain are reading the curses of the law. And on this other mountain, Mount Gerizim, you have half the people of Israel who are there, and the Levites from there are reading the blessings of the law. And in the middle of these two mountains is a little area called Shechem, and it's the area where Abraham first built an altar to the Lord years ago when he had come into the land. It's the area where Jacob had dug a well and an area where in years to come Jesus would talk with a Samaritan woman about living water in the midst of these two things. And there's an altar on Ebal, on the mountain of curses, if you will. And of course, as we see in the recording of this here, on this altar, there are offerings that are burnt. Those are sin offerings that are burnt, that are going up before the Lord. And there are peace offerings, there are fellowship offerings, because in the midst of the curse, you have to have the altar. You have to have the sacrifices that are going on there. And then Joshua reads the law in the midst of them. This is my covenant. We are okay through sacrifice. Now, obey the law. My friends, we are called to battle in Christ. We are promised victory in the victory of Christ. We are, and I know this language becomes quickly too casual, we are okay with God because of the covenantal blood of Jesus Christ. Joshua 7 and 8 have been brutal, violent chapters. If you read through them quickly, you might just read through it quickly and not think about the violence that is here, the brutality that we have seen going through these passages. But it's there. It's troubling. It's hard to read through it and understand how this could be taking place. How do all these guys from Israel die in the battle? What about Achan and what about his family? How they are stoned and then burned. Ai was then destroyed. The king of Ai was taken off and he was hung on a cross and he was shamed and he was cursed as he was hung on the cross and then piled up with stones. There's a mountain of curses. It's brutal and it's violent. And you go, what is, what is, what is happening here? How, how do you possibly bring out any resolution, any renewal, any relationship out of this mess? We have to see that the ugliness of this, that the bloodiness of this, that the stench of death that pervades both of these passages, even though this one today is victory for the people of God, it ends with the stench of the sacrifices going up. We have to understand that all of this relationship with God is only okay because of what the Son of God did. We, we, just, we have to get to that place where we look at this and see anticipated what Jesus has taken on. Israel violated the covenant. They will never be able to keep the words of the law. You got curses and blessings being yelled back and forth and Joshua reading the law. They'll never be able to keep the law. We need the Son of God to be the great law keeper. We need the Son of God to be the high priest who will offer himself as the burnt offering on the altar in the midst of the curse, thus saying to us, may the curses be on me. And when we read the story, we think about 
man, how brutal that is. How could you possibly, as the people of God, we understand how enemies could do it, how Romans could do it, how could you possibly, as the people of God, hang somebody on a tree, even an evil, wicked king? And God says to us, to his people, you have to see. You have to see the ugliness of sin. You have to see it in yourself. It's going to take a king hung on a tree, cursed and shamed to deliver you. That's what sin costs. And you have to be confronted with that in all of its brutal, violent, ugly, and yet righteous reality. Because what comes out of it is mercy for the people of God. Renewal of the covenant for the people of God. Surely, brothers and sisters, such a king deserves our allegiance, deserves our arm, our hand, our prayers, our knees in the battle. And therefore, saints of God, let us put on the full armor of God and fight the good fight. Amen. Now, brothers.